And I'm excited for today because we are wrapping up our series we've been in called Naked and Unafraid. And I've loved what God has done in my heart through these teachings every week. It's challenged me personally to step out of my comfort zone and begin to fight for the future that God has for me. And that's the key that I want to talk to you about today is fight for your future. We've been looking at five keys. We started with risking exposure, abandoning smallness, pushing past criticism, owning your story. And today is all about fighting for your future. Now, if you've missed out on any of the earlier weeks, I want to encourage you to check out those messages. And you might be wondering, why are we even speaking from this subject of naked and unafraid? Well, it comes from an event in David's life. David was a figure in the Old Testament, a king. And there was this moment where he took off his kingly robes and danced in the streets to worship God while his wife was watching from the window. She didn't like it. She thought it was foolish. She said he was naked, even though he really wasn't, but he had took off these robes, this, this symbol of who he was supposed to be, to humble himself before God and worship God. And really, this is a picture of what this series is all about, to, to strip off the things that hold you back, not to let fear or criticism or pressure keep you bound from living the big life that God has for you, a life that is full of faith, a life that is full of joy, a life that is full of purpose. And since we started this series with David, I thought it'd be appropriate that we end this series with David. And we're going to look at an event in his life found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're following along in your Bibles and want to look it up for yourself, you can. We'll have the words, of course, for you on the screen. And even if you're not a church person, you are going to love this message today because like this is a story that almost everybody is familiar with. Like if there was a Bible box set of greatest hits, this is a story that would make the list. It's the story of David and Goliath. And if you're familiar with the story at all, you, you probably would expect me to speak to you about the fact that there's this giant armed with a sword and a spear and there's David, who's a shepherd boy, armed with a stone and a sling. And it's this great picture of how no matter what's in front of you is no match for the God who's within you. But that's not what I'm going to preach about today. You'd probably like that sermon, but I got a different sermon for you. This is more of maybe a B-side than a box set, all right? This is kind of like, like, like the director's cut. And I want us to look at what happened before David ever got to Goliath. Now, if you don't know the story... There was this neighboring nation known as the Philistines, and they've come out to do battle with the Israelites. And among their ranks is this giant named Goliath. And every day for 40 days, Goliath would come out and he would taunt the Israelites and humiliate them by challenging them to one-on-one -on -one combat. They were supposed to send out their greatest fighter, and Goliath was going to represent the Philistines, and the winner would be victorious, humiliate the others, and it would save them a lot of bloodshed. The only problem is it was demoralizing because everybody knew that nobody can defeat Goliath. I mean, this guy's huge. He's strong. He's been a warrior from his youth. He's bigger than everybody. Not only that, Goliath just wouldn't insult them. 
He would denigrate them by insulting their faith in God. He would blaspheme God. And so this would go on for 40 days when one day David, who just happened to be on the battle lines because he was running an errand for his father, he overhears these taunts and these accusations. And he says, is nobody going to do anything about this? He's immediately moved to action. You see, David at this time was a musician in Saul's service. He was just a boy, but what he would do is he would serve King Saul by comforting him through his musical abilities or entertaining him. And then when he wasn't doing that, he would run back to do his real job, being a shepherd for his father, because everybody knows a traveling musician, it does not pay the bills. So he's, he's making that happen. And, and while he's doing this, he goes back and forth, back and forth. And his dad says, hey, while you're on your way, I want you to take some lunch to your brothers who are on the battle lines. And that's where I want to pick up the story. Right after David had dropped off some Chipotle or some five guys for his brothers, he, he hears them talking about a reward for defeating this giant. He speaks up, says, is nobody going to do anything about this? And in verse 28, chapter 17, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. It's kind of interesting because that's truthfully what everybody else was doing. Everybody else was just standing there watching. Nobody was acting. But it's funny how others, the moment you're about to step out, will project their own dysfunction onto you. Now, what have I done, said David? He says, can I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and he brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And what David said, we don't know what he said, but what he said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. But Saul said, hey, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. You're just a young man. And, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, you've got to understand, Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I like how David, he gives God credit. So it's not me who did it, but God who rescued me, God who delivered me. It's going to do the same thing in this situation. Now, you got to understand, Saul, he didn't really have faith in David. He didn't really believe that he was up for the task, but nobody else is stepping forward in this moment. So he's like, you're our best shot. At the very least, you're going to buy us time while we really try and figure out what to do. He says, go, the Lord be with you. And I want to use this passage to speak to you today from this subject. Don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste your wilderness. That's the title of my message. 
And God, I ask right now that you would breathe on this word. Let it be a word to bring life and hope to those who need it most today. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, I have a question. I'm curious, does anybody here actually, and you can let me know online, does anybody like going to the dentist? Just raise your hand if you're in the congregation today. Let's just let us know online. Does anybody actually like going to the dentist? Now, before I answer that for you, um, I don't know what kind of judgment I'm going to get on this before I, I tell you this, but since this series is all about vulnerability, I just want to take this moment to be vulnerable with you and, and tell you, I actually like going to the dentist. I, I do. I actually enjoy it. I look forward to it. It may sound extreme, but uh, I, I guess part of the reason I would say that is we do have dentists in our church, and the last thing I would want is for them to think that I hate their profession. Um, but but uh, no, no. Um, honestly, we have some great dentists. The, the dentist I go to, he's amazing. Like there's this massaging chair when you sit. It's it's phenomenal. Who doesn't want to go to the dentist with a massage chair? Like all this high-tech stuff they have. Like, like he's got this scanner where you don't, have to, you don't have to bite down on that thing to get an x-ray. They just scan it without that. That's wonderful. Hello. And uh, like, like the, all this high-tech advancements just to make your experience at the dentist that much more enjoyable. I honestly feel like I'm stepping into a sci-fi movie just a little bit. When I go, it's, it's so incredible. And I could go on and on about the great things I love about the dentist, but... As much as I love it, I got to tell you, on the other side of that, my, my wife, she, she hates going to the dentist. She, she hates it. And I realize that's a strong word, but I'm only using that because she means it, okay? Like, like in fairness, now, her, her mouth um, has needed a lot more work than, than, than I have. So um, not saying, like, better genetics. I'm just saying I, I can't fault her. She's probably had uh, a lot more trauma that she's experienced than I have, um, in fact, like when we switched dentists over the years, I always tell them, like, look, she is going to be your moneymaker, all right? I'm just telling, like, to put this in perspective, I think our last dentist had a boat named the Marissa. But um, the reason she hates the dentist, and the reason I, I love going to the dentist, has nothing to do with the perks and nothing to do with the process. It has everything to do with our perspective, our perspective. You see, the reason I like going to the dentist it's not because of the massaging chair. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but that's not the reason why. And it's not like I'm, I'm just really into, um, you know, great oral hygiene. It's not like I'm a fanatic about it. I mean, you should have it. It's great, but that's, that's not why. It's not even the fact that they always compliment me on my teeth whenever I go, which, by the way, keep doing it. I love it. It makes me feel good. Tell me I look good. But, but that's not the reason. No, no the, the reason you got to understand, like, like with me, is that, I like being productive. Like, I, I like moving the needle. I, I, I like pushing forward. I, I like making progress. And I've discovered that the dentist is the one place in my life where I can be productive while doing nothing. It's amazing. I, I am making my life better by simply sitting in a chair. I, I am enhancing the quality of my life and improving my health by just sitting there. It's wonderful. My, my wife, though, like as much as she values clean teeth, and she does, as much as she is much more disciplined than, than I am, she's got better disciplines in her life than I am, and, and, and she does, the fact and reason she hates the dentist is because of the pain that she's about to endure. Or more honestly, the potential pain 
that she anticipates she might have to endure. And it's interesting to me that how both of us, we can be facing the exact same situation. We can be sitting in the exact same chair at the hands of the exact same person. And we can approach it two completely different ways. For, for her, <laughs> she sees the pain, but I see the purpose. When she goes to the dentist, she's thinking about how much it's going to hurt. I'm thinking about how much it's going to help. She's focused on what she'll have to endure sitting there while people work on her. I'm focusing on what I'm going to enjoy, <laughs> doing nothing while people make my life better. It's a different perspective. And whether or not you relate more to Marissa or more to me when it comes to our dental disciplines, I found that the wilderness seasons in our lives play out much the same way. Now I need to set this up for you a little bit because if you're not a church person, you might not have any context for what I mean when I'm talking about the wilderness. And it's helpful to understand that when the Bible talks about experiencing God's presence in our lives, the Bible often uses this imagery of water or streams or rivers or oasis. See, you thought that dripping was a new word, but dripping has been a Bible word for a long time. Uh, when you're dripping, it's a good thing. And, and when the Bible on the, on the flip side of that talks about times of confusion, times of doubt, times of despair, times of distress, being alienated from God. It uses words of desert, drought, or wilderness. So when we're talking about wilderness, we're talking about the season in our lives when things don't feel as vibrant as maybe they once were. And what I want you to see today is that depending on your perspective, your wilderness can be fruitful or it can be painful. That it can be something that makes you stronger or it can be something that makes you struggle. And what we witness with every wilderness is that it's really an opportunity for us to see if we'll depend on God and make the necessary changes to move into the greater thing that God has for us. You see, the wilderness is an opportunity to fight for your future. And what does that have to do with our scripture today? Well, what I've noticed is that Wilderness moments show up in our lives as giant interruptions. You see, when David left that morning, he had no idea that Goliath was waiting for him. Goliath wasn't in his plans. He was simply bringing food to his brothers who were on the battle lines. He was simply doing what he was supposed to be doing. But suddenly, his routine was interrupted by the sound of this commanding, angry voice that echoed through the valley. This didn't just affect him. This affected every person that was there. At once, everybody's attention was turned to what was happening in the valley. And just like Goliath had come to battle, he wasn't going away. He wasn't leaving. Now, David had never seen or heard of Goliath before. But you could tell he didn't have a good impression of him. He wasn't on David's radar but he wasn't looking forward to this experience. And I wonder, for those of you sitting here today or maybe you're watching at home, wherever you're watching, I wonder if you've had any unwanted 
uninvited, unplanned, giant interruptions come down and bust down the doorstep of your world like a hostile takeover. Look, I'm not just talking about COVID. Like David's giant was named Goliath, but, but maybe your giant interruption is named divorce. Maybe it's named job loss. Maybe it's named betrayal. Maybe it's named heartbreak. Maybe it's named financial crisis. Maybe it's named leadership challenge. You know, one of the greatest enemies of our future comes in the form of unplanned, uninvited, unwanted interruptions. And the wilderness season, it, it comes in our life like a sucker punch. It doesn't just happen gradually. I've noticed that it hits you and you're like, what just happened? I wasn't expecting this. It leaves us dazed and confused. It creates uncertainty about how we're supposed to respond next. And it turns up the volume of the voice of fear in our life. And I don't know what your giant interruption is. I don't know what you would call it. But just like Goliath, it calls us to the battle lines again and again and forces us to fight for our future. So I want to give you three things today that are going to help you make the most of your moments in the wilderness. And the first thing I want to tell you is this, prioritize the present. Prioritize the present. If you're going to fight for your future, you need to prioritize the present. Because whenever your world is rocked by an unexpected interruption, negativity will assert itself by pulling you into regrets about the past and speculation and worries about the future. I like what was prophesied, though, in Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, it was during another time when the nation of Israel was facing uncertainty about the future. God spoke to the Israelites through the prophet, and he said this. He said, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Listen to this. He says, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God wanted the Israelites to know that in the midst of their situation, and their situation was this, they were in exile, which means the life that they remembered was long gone and their hope for the future was uncertain. God wanted them to know that in the midst of their wilderness, he was actually at work. He says, look, I am making a way right now. In other words, in this moment, I'm moving. When you can't see it, I'm working. I, I, in this hour, right at the present, I'm at work. And see, your wilderness is actually the place where God is making a way for what's next. Now, it's easier for us to hear that than it is for us to accept it but the truth of this verse as it applies to you and me is that we can't change our past the only thing we can do is what we do in the present to influence the future it's what we do in the present that is the only influence we have on the future that means when we're going through something difficult and we're not sure how it's going to play out the best thing we can do is to do today. <laughs> not replay yesterday, not speculate about tomorrow, 
but to do something positive, to do something helpful, to do something beneficial that makes a difference today. Can I just encourage you, do something to move your life forward today. You know, put on some praise and worship music, listen to an encouraging podcast, get outdoors, get some exercise, serve on a team at church, serve on our online team if you're at home. You know, attend Growth Track, register to come to one of these live watch parties that we're doing. Be around positive people, get in a healthy environment. When you stay in the present mentally and emotionally, you protect yourself from the regrets about the past and the speculations about the future. You know, Jesus put it this way. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. What's he saying? He, he's saying, don't let the problems of tomorrow ruin the possibilities of today. Now, psychologists call this, technic, the technical term is catastrophizing. That, that's when you imagine how a current problem is making a catastrophe out of a future situation. But whenever you do this, your anxiety increases and you undermine your ability to influence the future that you have. The truth is you are never powerless. You are never without a choice. There is always something you can do. You can always make a move in the right direction. You can always pray. You can always worship. You can always repent. There is always something that you can do. The truth is, sometimes it's the places where we feel like we have the least that is the places that we actually experience God's presence the most. David said this in Psalm 118, verse 24. He says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A couple of things from this verse says, this is the day. I'm going to be in it. Let us rejoice in it, present in the moment, in this hour, right here, right now. And he says, let us, which means he wasn't alone. It means he got around some people and they were going to worship God together. He got around some people, they were going to praise God together. The fight for your future is what you do in the wilderness today. Fight to see good today. Fight to enjoy what you have today. Fight to have gratitude in your heart today. The next thing I want to tell you, though, is this. If you want to fight for your future, you have to press into God's promises. you got to press into God's promises. What do I mean by that? I mean find out what God has said and then act on it. And I want to illustrate this with a verse from Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews said this in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. He says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. See, this is a picture of what it looks like to press into the promises of God. Because God has said, so we say. Because God has said, so we say. You see, your words are a creative force. And our words are either going to be in agreement with what God has said or in conflict with what God has said. God wants to help you. God wants to lift you up. He wants to encourage you. He wants to empower you. But the words we choose demonstrate whether we're going to cooperate with God in that or not. I like what it says in our passage, our story today, where David 
when his brothers tried to shut him down, he says, can I even speak? Look, you're trying to limit me. You're going to try and shut me up too. You're going to try and limit what I can say. And then it says, he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. See, sometimes you have to know what to say and you have to know when and where to turn. See, Pastor Kevin in his book, he, he talks about this concept called scripting and steering. It comes from this idea we see in scripture, really two verses, where the psalmist says, my tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. And James in the New Testament says the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. And when you put these two images together, you get a visual for scripting and steering. Scripting and steering simply is using your words to script for your future, to write the script for your future by bringing their, your words into alignment with what God has already said. And then moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour if necessary, steering yourself toward that future. The truth is every comment, every conversation, whether you realize it or not, is scripting and steering. You are either doing it in agreement with what God has spoken or you're not. That's why I like it says that David spoke and then he turned. He, he turned away from the criticism and he turned into a solution. He turned away from a fight with his family and he turned toward a fight for his future. He wasn't going to let the people around him put boundaries on his battle. See, we don't know the promises that he was declaring. But I have to guess that he was saying the same thing he said to Saul. What was that he said? He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He was declaring God's promises. He was declaring God's faithfulness. He was scripting and steering. God has said, so we say. God has done, he'll do it again. And that's really the last thing I want to tell you. This is the third thing you got to remember. You want to fight for your future? You have to prepare for possibilities. Prepare for possibilities. Now, while everybody knows about David's battle with Goliath, the story that's lesser known is about his battle with the lion and the bear. Even though this, this battle didn't make the greatest hits list, this was an important moment for David. If he hadn't fought the lion, if he hadn't fought the bear, he wouldn't be prepared to fight Goliath. He wouldn't have even made it, he wouldn't have been qualified to fight Goliath. But I don't know if you noticed, those battles happened while he was fighting or while he was tending his father's sheep. Tending sheep, he's being a shepherd. It's not exactly an exciting place. That's not exactly the future that most of us are fighting for, <laughs> to be tending sheep, to be working for his dad. I don't know if you noticed this. Did you notice where tending sheep took place? His brother told us in verse 28 when he says, why have you come down here? And he says, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You see, the fight for your future isn't always the giant that's in front of you. The fight for your future is what you're doing with the opportunities that you do have. And I'm concerned that there is 
too many of us who are wishing for the future that we want instead of working in the wilderness that we're in. Because sometimes the deepest things you receive from God are when you're in the wilderness. Think about another time when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they were on their way to the promised land that God had for them, the good land, the, the land of blessing. They left the land of bondage, but in between that, there was a wilderness. Nobody likes to go through it. Nobody looks forward to it, but it was actually in the wilderness where every day they experienced God's presence in a powerful way. A cloud of glory and a pillar of fire by night. You see, your wilderness is your preparation for what's next. And the thing is, what I can promise you is it always takes longer than you think it should. Always. Just ask Marissa about being at the dentist. It always takes longer than you think it should. Crazy thing in our story where we're looking at David, in this story where he's fighting Goliath, years earlier, while he was still a boy, he had been anointed to be king of Israel. Not king yet. He's just a servant. Not king yet. He's just tending his father's sheep. In fact, you read on in his story, it's going to be years later before he ever sees this promise fulfilled in his life. But the greatest enemy of your future isn't what's happening to you. It's how you see yourself when it happens. See, David's father didn't see his potential. His brothers didn't see his potential. His brothers, if anything, they were envious of him, trying to limit him. Even later on, Saul becomes jealous of him, wants to kill him. However, when it came time to fight Goliath, David might have only been a boy, but he knew he was called to be a leader. It's no different for you. When you, by faith, push past the hesitation to make your move, when, when, when you change your story, you change your future. It's not always enjoyable, but it makes you better. I'm not saying there's no pain involved. I'm just saying that there's purpose in it. I'm not saying that it's never going to hurt. I'm just saying that God will always be there to help. You see, the wilderness, it can be your wasteland or it can be your workroom. But just like with me and Marissa, it's, it's really all a matter of your perspective. That's why I want to tell you, don't waste your wilderness today. Don't, don't waste your wilderness. It can be the place that God forms you for the future he has for you. If you'll prioritize the present, if you'll press into God's promises and you'll prepare for possibilities.